right, thank you. Uh, appreciate that. That was uh, good. I always like to get at least one uh, quote to write down. And uh, that was good. When the Lord becomes my desire, he becomes my delight. Uh, that's good enough to where we could all just go home. We're not going to, but we could, right? There we go. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 7 tonight. Luke chapter 7. Appreciate we've had uh, Brother Caleb Byram visit us this week, so appreciate him from uh, Heartland Baptist College here visiting our whole family and Lydia specifically. Pray for Lydia. She's trying to put on a good show. She almost let her true self out several times, but so far she's been successful. So, uh, I'm just kidding. Luke chapter 7 is where we're at as we wrap up uh, John the Baptist, uh, talking about our series on John the Baptist's life. And uh, what a study. I don't know if you've gotten as much as I have. I'm sure not, but uh, it's uh, been a great Thing, just reading about him and learning some things about him, a great life, a great testimony. And tonight I want to talk about John's eulogy. Now when a person dies, it's standard procedure that there's a eulogy. Things are said about that person, his life that he lived, the impact that he had. And in John's case, we don't have a funeral. We don't have a, an account of where they had a funeral. Uh, I mean, maybe they did, but I'm not, it's not laid out for us in Scripture. But there were things that Jesus said about him. And wouldn't it be an amazing thing if Jesus gave your eulogy? Uh, if it were a good one especially, amen? Uh, maybe we wouldn't want him to give our eulogy, who knows if he knows everything about us. But uh, Jesus spoke of things uh, about John. But rather than doing it at a funeral, Jesus spoke about these things when John was still alive. And so we're, John, in our, in our timeline, John has been beheaded last week's lesson, okay? Now we're moving back a little bit, uh, his eulogy is while he's still alive. But I just want to look at it that way because these are some things that Jesus said about him. And what a great honor to have Jesus say these things about you. I think every, in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, there's an interesting verse when it lists all the things about the great heroes of the faith. And then it has that little phrase, wherein God was not ashamed to be called their God. That's a great thought, isn't it? And when he thinks of you, he's not ashamed, he's pleased. Uh, here, when he thought of John, he said g great things about John. We'll look at him tonight. So let's start reading Luke chapter 7. We're going to go to verse number 24. The scene here, we talked about a few weeks ago, a uh, different angle of it, but we, we, when John sent messengers to ask if Jesus was really the Messiah or if they should wait for another. Okay, This is the setting. And when the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. What went ye out in the wilderness for to see? A reed shaken with the wind? What went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled and live delicately are in king's courts. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before me. Verse 28, for I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Father, I pray you'd help us tonight. Bless the reading of your word. In these few minutes we have together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We start out here, we're looking at the contrasts in John. Jesus praised John 
when John sent his messengers to ask if he was really the Messiah. Now, the, the praise came in the form of three questions that Jesus asked the people around him. What went ye out for to see? We see that in verse number 24, verse 25, and verse 26. These three questions expose the motives of some of these people. Now, Matthew Henry uh, put it this way, the crowd that went to see John, many of them went rather out of curiosity than for conscience. And really, that's uh, like many people that attend the church today. Uh, they attend to see and, not, and, and to be seen. Uh, they go, come to church for something to talk about rather than something to think about. They come to church for entertainment rather than edification. We still have people like that today. Uh, people with those type of motives would think poorly of John, and so Jesus is uh, directing his, his uh, conversation, some of these compliments to these folks. Now, uh, Jesus also will set them straight on a few things. Look first what he says, uh, or, or about these comments, uh, uh, Jesus' comments about John. They were very encouraging. Uh, Jesus spoke his highest praise when John was at his lowest. And, and we'll talk about that in a minute. We've already discussed this. I'm not going to beat it to death about John's discouragement. But this ought to encourage God's people. That when they, John was discouraged, he was doubting a little bit, and Jesus praised him so highly. God does not forsake us when we are down and discouraged. Think about Elijah in the juniper, under the juniper tree. Uh, a great example of that. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flames kindle upon thee. I'm glad we serve a God who is with us in our troubles, uh, who is present in the a very present help in time of need. We see that in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they, were in the, they were not kept from the fire, but God was with them in the fire. And that's a great lesson for us. So they were encouraging. Secondly, they were needed. Uh, the praise of John was needed at this time because the crowd could easily have thought ill of him because of what the messengers asked Jesus. And so to, to put those doubts of the crowd about John to rest, Jesus uh, gives these compliments. Jesus did not want John's uh, question to be construed in any way to dishonor him or his ministry. And then thirdly, they were preferred. Uh, John's compliments, or Jesus' compliments of John, are to be preferred above the praise of the world. And we've again spoke about this several times. I'm just doing a little bit of review as we go through here. But uh, Jesus prayed... Now, they're often... You're, you're, it's very hard to get both. If you're after the praise of the world, you probably won't get the praise of God about your life. And if you're after the praise of God, you're probably not going to get the world's praise. Uh, for You've got to really make a choice about who you want to please. The world and God are absolutely, diametrically opposed from one another. And so you have to make a choice of who you will live, uh, who you will live to please, I should say. The beheading of John revealed what the world thought of him. But this praise from Jesus, uh, we'll see what he thought of him. And it's a sad thing when we covet the world's praise more than we do uh, God's praise. And so John obviously went after the right one. So they were needed, they were preferred, but, and then fourthly, they were hidden. Uh, Jesus did not speak his praise until the messengers of John, the Bible says here, were departed, verse 24. That's uh, interesting. Uh, he kept the praise hidden from John. Why would Jesus not want John to hear his high praise? F.B. Meyer gives his thoughts on this. He would not give him any cause for pride. 
He desired to give his friend no additional temptation during these lonely hours. Turn me down just a little bit, Caleb. I'm hearing myself ring in my ears. If, if, if I have to hear myself, it's bad. <laughs> All right. He desired to, uh, he didn't want to give him any reason for pride. Pride is a devil, and it can be uh, enter into our lives at any time. And so Jesus knows he's dealing with some doubt, and so he's not going to give him any cause for pride. Matthew Henry, uh, they who in other things are mortified to the world, yet cannot well bear their own praise. Think about that. Praise is something we must not feed either in ourselves uh, or in others. And so it's a, it's a hard thing sometimes for people to receive praise. It's easy for it to go to our heads, isn't it? Uh, when we hear praise about ourselves, it's easy. And we all like it. We all uh, enjoy getting praised, but we, we want to make sure that it doesn't turn into pride. By the way, Jesus is different than a lot of Christians are. Jesus rebuked John when, to the messengers. Look at what he said. Blessed is he who shall not be offended in me. That was a gentle rebuke. So that's what he sent back to John. So you could say Jesus rebuked John to his face, and then he praised him behind his back. Christians are just the opposite sometimes. Praise people to their face and talk about them behind their back. Jesus is the opposite of that. And so one of the greatest tests of faith in our life is if we're going to be faithful if we get no praise or no recognition. And uh, we need to just continue to be faithful. Uh, Jesus praised uh, John's conduct here uh, in three different areas. Uh, let's look at it, and, and it's these questions that he asked. So the first question he asks uh, refers to John's steadfastness. What went ye out into the wilderness for to see? This is verse 24. A reed shaken with the wind? The answer to this question is a strongly implied no. Obviously, the answer's not there, but the way that it's asked is an obvious no. One of John's greatest characteristics is his steadfastness, always being faithful and always taking a stand, and he stood straight, you could say. The reed referred to here is the Arundo Donax. It's a tall cane. It grows about 12 uh, feet high. It has a delicate blossom at the top, and they say when the wind blows, this reed will actually lay completely level to the ground. When the wind stops blowing, it'll stand all the way back up again. And a lot of people are just like that reed. They just bend whichever way the wind blows. Uh, aren't politicians that way, most of them? Uh, send out pollsters to find out what's popular and what's not popular, down to their very clothes uh, that they wear sometimes. Uh, is everything's poll-driven. And we ought to not be poll-driven Christians. Now, if you're running for office, maybe you've got to run some polls. But if you're living for God, you don't need to run any polls. Live for right. Stand for right. That's what John did. He never took a poll. And uh, he, he, Christians often can be like this, leaning whichever way the wind blows. And uh, not John the Baptist. He stood straight, no matter which way the wind blew. Uh, it talks about this in Ephesians 4.14, and this would not describe John, but it describes some Christians tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. John was more like a mighty oak than he was a reed. He stood strong, unmoved by circumstances. It made no difference where others stood. John stood true. He would not compromise with evil, uh, even if it meant he is being bound and thrown into prison. He called out sin when he preached in the religious leaders as well as the common people. Excuse me. Then one time, uh, even when they told him Herod's in the crowd, he still preached the truth, preaching against Herod's uh, wicked marriage uh, with his brother's wife. And so uh, John just told the truth as it was, 
and he stood strong. So that's what Jesus said. What are you looking for? Did you expect a reed that would blow down with every wind that came by? Not John. John stood strong. Oh, but you say he had some doubts. And people point to this momentary doubt that he had. I like what one commentator said. Heaven judges not by the passing mood, not by the expression of doubt, but by the soul of man within him, which is much deeper than the emotions. I said before, I like the picture that uh, I read one place about, uh, was writing about John, that, that he was like a, like a river that has a deep current. Uh, sometimes the wind blows opposite and you see surface ripples, go, ripples going, but the current is unchanged. And John really, the, John's doubt was a surface ripple. Uh, it was a momentary lapse, but it was not who John the man was. And so his doubts were not deep-seated. And uh, I, I don't think we should point to that one lapse in John's judgment and use that to judge the man because Jesus, as we well see, gave very high praise to who he was. So this is the steadfastness of John. Then we also see the self-denial of John. And that's found in the second question Jesus asked. What went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they which are gorgeously appareled, like me tonight, uh, and live delicately, are in king's courts. Nobody laughed. I'm sorry. It was a bad joke. Uh, he, we're not looking for gorgeously appareled people, uh, is what Jesus said here. Uh, this is not who John was. John was not clothed in the latest fashion. Uh, John did not wear expensive clothing. You know what he wore? Matthew 3, 4 tells us he had his raiment of camel's hair, a leathern girdle about his loins. His clothing spoke uh, of the office of a prophet. It spoke of self-denial and also his food. He didn't eat at fancy buffets. He ate locusts and wild honey and wore camel's hair and a leather girdle. Uh, and by the way, it's not a sin to wear nice clothes. That's not what this is about. Uh, but what John's life showed him, shows us about him is that he was not after the finer things of earth. He knew all about self-denial. He rejected the appetites of the flesh. And oh, friend, let me tell you tonight, the appetites of the flesh will be your undoing if you listen to them and if you follow them. Well, John didn't. He was uh, not like Herod. Herod, as we saw last week, was completely given to his lusts, living in luxury in the palace. He was not like the Pharisees who were strutting around in their fine clothing. And, and uh, this is, I think, one of the things Jesus is uh, kind of uh, hint, hint referring to here. Uh, seeking to impress men. John knew how to mortify the flesh. How about us in our Christian life? How much pull does the flesh have on our Christian duties, our Christian life? How much does the flesh rule over the Spirit in our life? We need an emphasis today on self-denial in Christianity. We really do. We need it in our own lives all the time. We live in America... If you compare us to the rest of the world, we live in the lap of luxury here in this country. And we could do with some self-denial once in a while. Too many of us are inclined to put on the soft raiment of self-indulgence and luxury. The real happiness of life consists not in increasing our possessions, but in limiting our wants. Think about that. That's what John did. He wasn't worried about the things the world could offer him. He, he was wanting and, and desperate to be a man of God. Turn your Bibles, if you would, along this line. and Keep your finger at Luke 7. We're going to come back to that. But uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus spoke of this, this uh, subject of self-denial. 
And evidently, in this chapter, Matthew 16, we see that crowds of people want to follow Jesus. Wherever Jesus went, there were crowds. And why not? Jesus healed people. <laughs> think, of, think of the... The crowds you would draw today if you could heal the sick. He, he made the blind to see. He raised the dead eventually. Uh, he did all these things. And then he fed you on top of it all. When he preached to you all day, you had, you had uh, him take a little sack lunch and multiply it and feed 5,000 men and their families. Uh, he did all this. Of course people would follow him. And so he had great crowds of people. Now today... We often rate our success or rate the success of churches by the number of people they have. And you know me, I like numbers. All right? I, 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 I look at them, I watch the numbers of how many people we have coming to church because I, like, I think God cares a little bit about numbers. There's a book in the Bible called Numbers. Uh, so I, but I don't think we ought to, that should be the end all, but I, I like to look at numbers. But we look sometimes at, at rating success that way. So if a guy has... 50 people compared to a, a church that has 100 people, uh, uh, 500 people. Obviously, the 500 people are much more pleasing to God than the 50. Not necessarily. That's not the case at all. Jesus was not a person driven by numbers. Uh, as they followed him, I find it interesting that Jesus saw the need to turn and give to them qualifications or preconditions to following him. This, it wasn't enough that they wanted to follow wasn't enough that they showed up. He was going to make it a little more difficult. You'll never see a prosperity preacher do what Jesus does here in this verse. Conditions had to be met. Now, look at what it says in verse number 24, Matthew 16. Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Uh, today, people want to call themselves Christians. A lot of people. Uh, just, just knock on doors. Uh, knock on doors and, and talk to people or, or vi witness to people as you meet them. And, oh, I love Jesus. I love God. Haven't been to church maybe in 20 years, but I love God. Uh, I, and and uh, they, everybody, most people believe in Jesus, believe in God. It's like over 90% in America of people that, that believe in God. doesn't mean they're right with God, or they're, I mean, they're saved, doesn't mean they're doing the right things, just they love Jesus, they'll tell you. I remember years ago, uh, I was uh, working, at, working at a job with auto parts, and, and there was a customer that I was talking to, and he was just one of those filthy mouths, curse word, every other word, just, just talk to him any amount of time, and he's telling, uh, talking about the, how he goes, what he does in the partying and drinking and he just was not not a good uh, person that you would want to uh, think was had any kind of character uh, but I found it interesting he always wore a WWJD bracelet remember those bracelets what would Jesus do I always thought you take the bracelet off why do you why are you even wearing that thing you know the way you talk the way you act the stories you tell the things you do and you do it all with a WWJD bracelet on and so folks like to have an association. They like to call themselves something maybe or, or look at themselves as God-fearing people. But Jesus puts a prerequisite on if you want to be my disciple, if anyone wants to come after me, there's a few conditions that have to be met. And look, he gives us three of them here. Uh, first thing he says is let him deny himself. 
there is something, if we follow Christ, there's something to give up. We are to deny ourselves. Uh, we, if we're to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, well, you know once you get saved, uh, if you remember the day you got saved, that day begins that until, from the day you get saved to the day you die, you are engaged in a battle between the flesh and the spirit. It's always, Paul talked about them battling or warring within our members. They're always uh, that battle that we fight against the flesh. Have you ever felt that you're the only ones fighting that battle? <laughs> Satan likes to sell us that lie sometimes. It's not, Jesus called, or, or the Bible tells us it's a, no temptation such as is common to man. Everyone has battles. We all fight the flesh. I hope you fight the flesh. You don't just give in to it. Romans 7, 18, for I know, this is Paul speaking, that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Now, if Paul has to say that, where does that leave me? In my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. And uh, so he's, he's recognizing that in our flesh there's nothing good. Now, Jesus said, if you want to be a follower of me, let him deny himself. Why should we have to deny ourselves? Because in our flesh is no good thing. So that means your flesh does not want any good for you. There is no good thing in your flesh, in and of ourselves. You ever heard the statement, the devil made me do it? I think the devil gets a lot of credit. <laughs> he doesn't deserve for, for our sin. Uh, we have a flesh. Most of the time, our flesh does the work for him. James chapter 1, verse 14, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of the devil. Is that what the Bible says? It's not what the Bible says. When he is drawn away of his own lust. And then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. We get tempted, and then that conceives with our lust, and it comes, uh, what comes forth is sin. Our flesh loves sin. And so we need to deny ourselves. We need to, there's some things we have to give up if we're going to be a follower of Christ. So Jesus demands us to make a choice because you cannot serve God in the world. He already t he said that in a different place. I can't remember exactly where it's fine. You cannot serve God and mammon. You'll love the one and hate the other. You'll love the one and despise the other. We can't serve both, so you have to make up your mind. And if you're going to be a follower of Christ, there are some things you're going to have to give up. It's just the truth of the matter. We can't live how we want to and call ourselves a follower of Christ. We have to deny uh, some things. Let him deny himself. Uh, only way we're going to be worth anything to God is if we deny ourselves and we give up some things there's some things that we don't do there's some places we don't go there's some people we don't spend time with because of our denying ourselves how do you find out what it is well that's where the word of god comes in years ago when we i think i've told this story before but uh, we were traveling and my kids were little at just uh, probably half of them at that time and they were little and and when you travel long hours you do whatever you can to entertain them and i remember I was, uh, my wife was doing her stint of driving, and I was sitting in the back of the van with the girls, and we were just goofing off, playing around, and I put a, a little pink flower hairbreadth in my head. And you, you can, if, you've, if you've played with your girls as a dad, you know, they all try to get it off, and I'm, oh, no, what, what, you know, and, and we're playing and just having a good time. Well, my wife pulls over for gas, and uh, I got out. I'm pumping gas. People are looking at me funny, and... Uh, I don't know why, check my face, nothing, to, but everybody, everybody that walked past her, they just look at me like that. 
I walked into the gas station. Uh, at that time, I think I was still paying inside. Uh, I, I walked in and immediately, everybody looked that, uh, that I encountered. I walked into the bathroom, used the restroom, washed my hands and my face, and look in the mirror. What do I see? A big old flowery pink beret. Uh, is that what they're called? Berets, right? I think so. Barrettes. Barrettes. Whatever it was. It was uh, in my hair. Uh, so now I realize what everybody else saw that I, didn't, that I had forgotten about because the mirror showed it to me. What the Bible says uh, that the, it calls the Word of God a mirror. And we need to look into that mirror once in a while. You know what it'll show us? It'll show us things that are amiss. And then we need to change those things in our life. Maybe it's something we need to get rid of. Maybe it's something we need to start doing. Maybe it's something we need to change about our lives, about how we talk or how we act. But Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, there's some things you're going to have to give up. And I would go as far as to say tonight, if you've never given up anything to follow Christ, you're not doing it right. Jesus said, if any follow after me, he must deny himself. And then he goes further, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. There's not only something to give up, there's something to take up. Matthew 6.33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things should be added unto you. Our desires, our, desi our main desire as a Christian ought to be to please the Lord Jesus Christ, to bring glory to him. Our desires should change from before we're saved to after we're saved. And when we come to Christ, want, truly want to be a follower of Christ, we need to put different things in the top of our priority list than we had before we were saved. The things we lived for before, uh, fleshly things are now replaced by spiritual things. Our labors, our efforts, all ought to change direction when we get saved. Sadly, for many Christians, not much changes when they accept Christ. But Jesus said, if you want to be a disciple, if you want to be a follower, there's some things you've got to give up, there's some things you've got to take up. And then, finally, the last thing in that verse, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. There's not only something to give up, something to take up, but there's something to keep up as well. Follow me, he said. Now, I like that, by the way. Follow me. Not go, 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 do this, do that, but follow me. I like when people lead and I can follow. Amen? Uh, I, I like people who are not above uh, getting into the battle with you. And the Lord Jesus Christ said, follow me. He didn't ever ask us to do anything that he would not do himself. That's a blessing. One of my favorite verses in the entire Bible, Hebrews 4.15, For we have not in a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Now that's a blessing. The Lord Jesus Christ has been where we are. He has walked in our shoes. He's lived here on earth. He, know, he has had a human body. Now, he had, the Bible says that he was tempted in all areas as we were, yet without sin. So he had a flesh, he just wasn't sinful. He didn't have a sinful flesh. That's why the virgin birth is so important. Different message, but that's one reason that we hold to that uh, truth of the Bible so dearly. Uh, but he had no sin nature, but he did have a flesh. He was tempted. We know the temptation in Matthew chapter 4 that uh, we see laid out for us. But the Bible says at the end of that that the devil part departed from him for a time. He came back. Jesus was tempted many more times than the three times we see in Matthew. Yet without sin. Uh, it disarms us from saying, God doesn't understand me. He does understand you. He's been where you are. And that's a blessing for us to see. So Jesus says, follow me. Uh, I, I just 
uh, with this verse in mind, and we can go back to Luke 7 now, but uh, just ask the question, has there ever been something you've given up? Can you point to something in your life? I don't do such and such anymore because I'm a child of God. I'm a follower of Christ. Therefore, I don't do that anymore. I've removed that from my life. If you're going to be a true follower of God, you've got to give up some things, deny yourself. And then uh, you can't take up and, and keep up if you don't give up. All right? So keep those three things in mind. So, uh, but back to, back to John here. That, that was the self-denial of John. We also see the superiority of John. The third question, for what went you out to see? This is verse 26 and 28, uh, through 28. A prophet... Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thee, and which shall prepare the way before thee. For I say unto you, among these that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. The superiority of John is seen in these verses. John was no ordinary prophet. In fact, he was greater than a prophet. This is a tremendous statement when you consider all the prophets that went before him. We're talking Elijah, Elisha. Uh, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. A lot of prophets went before John, and John was much more than a prophet. By the way, Jesus is not discrediting them. This is the praise of John that we're talking about. This is John's eulogy before his funeral, you could say, that Jesus is giving him. Uh, Jesus uses the superiority of John to emphasize the great uh, greatness of the blessings in heaven. He says, he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. This is not uh, really, uh, don't, doesn't refer to the character of performance, but to p- position and privilege. And then finally, the consecration of John. It's the other passage I'd like to look at. Uh, John chapter 5, verse 35. We'll close with this very quickly. John chapter 5, verse 35. This is Jesus again talking. He was a burning and a shining light. And ye were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. Uh, John was either dead at this time or in prison. Jesus is using the past tense. But uh, he sums up the excellent character with the burning and shining light statement. The word translated light is translated from a Greek word, which means a hand lamp. At the beginning of John's gospel, we read that Christ is the light. You see that in John chapter 1, 4, 5, 7, 9, I think are the verses you see that in uh, John chapter 1. Uh, there's a difference between a light and a lamp. A light shines by its own inherent ability. A lamp shines by the energy of another. And uh, this begs a question in in our lives. How do we reflect the light of Christ in our life? That's what John did. John uh, showed that light uh, of Jesus Christ in his life. Light, I I read read a little bit, some things about light this week. It's kind of an amazing thing. Uh, You know where there's the least bit of light, darkness has to flee. It doesn't matter how little it is. If you ever go in a pitch, we were, were, I went into, uh, I think it was Merrimack Caverns one time deep, deep cave underground, and uh, they made us hold on to the, hold on to the railing, I guess, because it gets it that dark. Uh, it can actually disorient some people. They just fall down or something. I don't know, but it has to hold on to the railing and shut off all the lights, and I have never before or since seen darkness like you see in a cave deep, deep underground. Uh, it felt like it was thick, 
And then somebody, and the tour guide just lit a lighter all the way. I was way back from where she was, and she just lit a lighter up. And just an amazing difference that little bit of light made because when you have light, darkness must flee. And the darkest place imaginable uh, when lit the power, has, the, the power of the light drives away the darkness. Now, the same is true in the spiritual realm. Psalm 119, 130, the, thy, the entrance of thy words giveth light, giveth understanding unto the simple. Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. When light enters, darkness flees. Now, a godly Christian can bring rays of light into the darkest of situations. John did that. You can do that. We need to be a light. The Bible calls us the light of the world. And light does some amazing things. It colors drabness. Not only does it conquer darkness, what I was just talking about, but colors drabness. Now, I'm not going to get into it. This is all scientific, and I'm no scientist, so I start stumbling over my tongue. But I, I read this week about that, that color doesn't really exist. Color is a trick of the eye. It's how light hits things, and light looks white, but it gets absorbed differently. If it absorbs everything, it's black. If it absorbs nothing, it's white. If it absorbs everything but the blue rays, it's blue and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you can read up on that yourself, but the point being, without light, our world would be dark and dreary, very drab. And light, <coughs> light colors drabness. Jesus said that we are the light of the world. Not only <coughs> should our presence as Christians force darkness to flee, uh, it sh also should cause the world to become a more colorful and beautiful place. You should light up the surroundings and where you are. You, you shouldn't. A Christian, or any of none of us want to be that person when we walk in the room, everybody inwardly groans, you know. Uh, we ought to lighten up any area that we're in as a child of God. Uh, there, this, there's nothing, there's nothing like meeting a godly Christian reflecting the light of the Savior. Have you ever met somebody like that that just, I mean, you, you talk to him for five minutes and you just feel the love of Christ all over them, and, and it's just an exciting thing to be around people like that. That person is a ray of light in a dark place. We can all be that, and we need to be that as a child of God. There's a, it's what the Bible teaches, Philippians 1.27, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. Our lives ought to make a difference in the world around us. Light also changes deadness. This is my, if this is spring, I'm questioning the way it's been lately, but uh, we had a little bit of warmth there for a while, but uh, it's my favorite season of the year. I, lo I love when things start turning green and uh, the uh, deadness is going away from us. As the earth, you know the, the reasons, the earth uh, moves closer to the sun in its rotation, uh, then the light that hits uh, brings, brings life out of deadness and the, because it's warmer and all that. And as we let our light shine in a dark and dead world, the same thing should take place. God uses the light of our witness and the light of our testimony to warm a dead sinner's heart and draw them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, are you a light? We're to be the salt, too. We go down that road, too. There's a whole bunch of things salt does. But are you a light, Lord Jesus Christ? Like the moon, not the sun. Remember, the moon only reflects doesn't cause anything, but it reflects the light of the sun. We as Christians ought to reflect the light of Christ in our life. And that's what John the Baptist did. Jesus called him a light. 
uh, he made a difference. He made an impact. And so that concludes our study of John the Baptist. Uh, what a great man of God he was. What a great example he sets forth for us in Scripture. I love reading about these men. You know, one of the things I like about it, I don't like the fact that John failed, but I like the fact that John failed, if that makes sense to you. Uh, because even people like John the Baptist fail. Even people like Elijah fail. And we've looked at different men on our Wednesday night uh, character series, and we've looked at uh, different lives, and we see failure in them. And uh, God still uses them. I'm glad for that. Because you know what's going to happen if you continue to serve God? You're going to fail too. I'm going to fail. And uh, what do we do? We pick ourselves up. We keep on going and, and praise the Lord for John the Baptist and his testimony. Very short ministry. Uh, six months was all John had. But what an impact he made. Uh, and so uh, things we can learn from him. So I hope that was a help to you. Father, we thank you.